0: Well good morning everybody. Welcome to Sunrise on this great day. My name is Dan. I'm the worship director here. It's good to be here in God's house to worship and sing with you and hear his word together. I want you to read, like I often do, read some scripture to start things off this morning. So hear these words from Psalm 57. You guys might recognize this, this passage. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul! Awake, harp and lyre! I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. So this morning, if the coffee hasn't quite kicked in yet, if it hasn't started the caffeine hasn't got you awake yet, um, we're going to use this first song to help awaken us to Him this morning, to His Spirit. So, um, as we sing this song, let our hearts, our soul just come awake to God this morning. Yeah, may his spirit just move among us and uh, as we sing and make music to him. So why don't you guys stand as we worship and sing this song together.
1: There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear worship.
0: saying earlier, you are holy. You are set apart. There is no one like you. In your presence we come alive this morning. Our souls are awakened to you. As we continue to worship and hear from the word, God, may our hearts and ears be open to you. Our souls be awakened to you this morning. Spirit, move among us. Draw us close to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, I have a couple of announcements this morning um, to bring to your attention. But before I do that, I want to just say one big welcome to uh, our guests this morning. If if you happen to be here for the first time, um, welcome to you. Also, welcome uh, to anybody who may be worshiping with us for the first time online um, there is a QR code in front of you on some of those chairs. For those of you online, there'll be a, a little link that drops in the comments. Um, if you're new, you can scan that code. That'll bring anyone to our announcement page on our website. And on that announcement page, one of the banners up top um, is for guests. So you guys can click on that. Um, there's a couple of questions you can answer. You can ask questions of us if you have any questions about sunrise. Um, And we would love to, if you fill that out, we'd love to send you a gift in the mail later this week. And for those of you who happen to be in the service today, who was your first time, after the service, you can head back to the Connect table in the lobby, and we'd love to give you um, a gift for just coming to hang out with us today. So that being said, a couple of announcements to bring your attention. Um, If you saw the five-minute countdown this morning with the waves gently relaxing, going across the screen... That unfortunately is going to be our beach day today. We were going to go to the beach after the service today, um, but with the chances of rain and thunderstorms, and the fact that there actually is a red flag warning out of the beach today, probably not the best idea to go out swimming today. So we're just going to cancel that. You guys can go to the beach some other time, and we will be there in spirit with you. So, um, so don't go to the beach today. Well, you can if you want, but we're not going to go as a church together. Um, next, Sunrise students, the end of summer party, pool party, is this Wednesday from 4 to 9 o'clock. Um, if you are, again, entering sixth grade this year through eighth grade, um, if you've gone to all the events this summer, great. If you've not even been to one yet, you can still come to this one. It is the end of summer party, kind of gear it up for the fall coming up. So again, 4 to 9 o'clock. Uh, Tanner will be sending out an email with information. If you don't have, if you're not on that email list, you can just Go to that, Tanner at sunrisemen.org, and he'll give you all the information about that event coming up this week. Uh, Next, Sunrise Service Day, Saturday, August 13th. That's coming up in a bit from 1 to 4 o'clock. So we um, would like to have a service day here at Sunrise to kind of gear up for the fall. There's a lot of little things that we could do around the church here. Some painting. I think Julie mentioned a little shelf. Bookshelf needs to get fixed in the large group kids room. Some cleaning around. And there is a myriad of things, even for families, for kids to do as well. So we're going to have a whole list of things for your family to get involved, to kind of spruce this church up as we head into our fall kickoff next month. So put that on your calendars, August 13, from 1 to 4 o'clock. That is all the announcements I have. If you forget half of those, which is quite possible, again, scan that QR code, that'll bring you to our announcement page. So now we're going to have a little time, three-minute countdown to greet each other, to hang out, to say hi, maybe to someone you don't know. And it's also a time for our kiddos to head back to meet Mrs. Julie in the lobby to head to your kids' time. So let's stand up and greet each other. You guys can find your way back to your seats. It's just so obedient, so quiet. Get your seats today. Good job. Good job. Um, well, once again, welcome. I want to uh, just say a quick welcome to our pastor. Come, come to preach today. Um, So Dennis, Dennis Moles, you are a local Jenison resident. Yes. You're a West Michigan pastor, even a professor. Your fall's about to get very busy. It is. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, Yeah, so I live up the hill this way. So I live up the Jenison hill, not the Hudsonville hill. Um, Proud water polo, marching band, swim dad. Um, Have family here. So uh, two of my three kids and one of my three significant kid others is here. Along with a dear friend, Mike. Um, so yeah, this is kind of, I'm from here. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, good to have you this morning. Thanks, buddy. Welcome. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody uh, here today. If you would, take, go ahead and take your Bibles. Um, th- th- these things. They make these things still. Um, they're, uh, th- they're made out of paper, and, and some of them are leather. Um, if you don't have one of those, you're probably carrying around a magic box. Yeah, little magic box. And we're going to be in the book of Micah this morning, um, asking and answering a really important question I think that everybody asks and attempts to answer at one point in their life is, God, what do you want me to do? Now, now if you're unfamiliar uh, with where the book of Micah is, Micah is one of those very tiny books that's at the end of the Old Testament. So if you can go to the New Testament and find Matthew and then head back towards Genesis, it's the seventh book back uh, from Genesis. If you get to Jonah or Obadiah, you've gone too far, all right? Um, So today, um, looking at the book of Micah, asking and answering the question, God, what do you want me to do? Now, if you have been a follower of Jesus for more than, oh, let's say 15 minutes, you've probably asked this question, haven't you? You've asked it in times of of confusion, You've asked it when the job has not turned out the way you wanted it to turn out and you find yourself in the unemployment line. You've, you've asked it when you've had a prodigal child. You've, you've asked it when your pastor has left and you're looking to find... God's next person to stand in this pulpit. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go to college? Who do you want me to marry? We, we ask this question all the time, specifically when, when life doesn't turn out the way we think that it would. What's interesting, though, is that the question isn't just asked in exasperation. God, what do you want me to do? Oftentimes, again, if you're like me, is you ask this question even after you find out what God wants you to do? God, what do you want me to do? You see, even when God speaks, sometimes we we, we, we look and we, we we say, God, are you really sure this is this is the direction you want me to go? This is the thing that you would have me to do? And I think that Micah helps us to answer both of those questions, specifically as we look in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Read this passage with me. Um, I'll read it out loud. You can uh, just uh, read it to yourself. Um, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah has questions. Micah is a person that that God has called um, to prophesy to the children of Israel, to prophesy to God's chosen people. And he's been told, he's, he's asked this question, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will? What are you guiding us to do at me as an individual, us as a people? And then as God tells him, well, this is what I want you to say to the children of Israel, Micah asked the question in that second iteration, God, what do you want me to do? You see, because sometimes, folks, even when God speaks clearly, we don't see how he's going to accomplish his tasks through people that are like us. You see, Micah wasn't the stereotypical prophet. Micah was actually a farmer from a place called Maresh. And Mareshis was his town, and it was in the southern part of Israel. At this point in, in, in Micah's ministry, Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah, and Israel has split into two. There's the northern kingdom that, that is being ruled from Samaria, and there's the southern kingdom that's being ruled from Jerusalem. And Micah is this farmer who lives outside of Jerusalem. He's a nobody from nowhere. He's someone who doesn't have the right training. He's someone who doesn't have the right past. He's someone who is is looked down upon because he is not a member of the elite or the ruling class, but God calls him and God says, listen, I've got things for you to do because the reality is I can't trust the leadership in Israel. Micah chapter 6 begins this way. But Before we can really understand what God is telling us in Micah 6, 8, we've got to understand what's going on in in, uh, Micah 6, 1 through 7. Because that mirrors exactly what God has called Micah to do. Micah 6, uh, verse 1 says this. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Micah's job as an outsider is to do one clear, concise Micah has been called to declare the truth to the nation of Israel. But what's the problem? The problem is, is that the people have stopped up their ears toward the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They want what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, right, warns Timothy of, in these last days, which, which again probably is is uh, indicative of of the human experience, is that people, even people like you and me, what are we going to be tempted to do when times get tough is to surround ourselves with teachers that will say what our itching ears want to hear. Can I tell you a secret? Okay, can I tell you a secret? Okay, good. (laughs) We find ourselves in a place, friends, where ears are itching. We find ourselves in a place where just like Micah, the children of Israel in this time, they want what they want and they want their prophets and their leaders to say the things that they want to hear, not the things that God has for them to hear. And Micah is called in this moment to declare the truth. This farmer from Moresheth is called, and God says, listen, I can't trust the leaders because Micah, in total, is, just, is, is about this idea that God has called Micah to speak because the leaders have stopped leading. They have started extorting the people. And the prophets have stopped preaching the truth. They have actually sold their message to the highest bidder. And God says, Micah, I want you to preach the truth, and I want you to preach it to the mountains. And I wonder what Micah said. God, you want me to do what? I want you to preach to the mountains. Why? Because sometimes the most effective way for people to hear something is for them to overhear a conversation. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a conversation in your home, right, where it's like, well, you tell them that I said A, B, C, and D, and them are standing right here? The person that you're speaking to is not the person that you're speaking to. Micah is called to declare the truth to the mountains. And this is the truth that he's called to declare. Hear, you mountains, speaking to the mountains, but not speaking to the mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. The second movement that leads us toward Micah 6, 8 of discovering God, what do you want me to do, comes in this second and third verse where Micah issues an accusation to the mountains, but that's actually for the people. This section, this, this middle part leading up to Micah 6.8 actually mirrors the entire book of Micah where Micah gives an accusation against the people and then reminds them of God's faithfulness. Chapters 1 and 2 are primarily Micah speaking against the leaders, the leaders that are untrustworthy, the leaders that are actually oppressing the poor, the leaders that are getting wealthy on the backs of those that they're supposed to be serving and taking care of. Sound familiar? You see, you have leaders that are untrustworthy leaders, and Micah is calling them out, and it takes an outsider to do, to do those kinds of things. And he's giving an accusation that says, you've continued to do the stuff that you're supposed to do religiously and societally, but the problem is, is that you're doing it from the wrong heart and the wrong motivation. Micah issues an accusation against the people of God, especially their leaders. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he issues an accusation against the prophets. The prophets have not been saying what God has called them to say. They've actually been trading their prophetic words, their power of proclamation for goods and services. Micah is a story of of God coming to His people, a stiff-necked people, a broken people, an abused people, the people that have, that have taken about as much as they can take and, and giving an accusation and calling them out on their sin. But furthermore, it's a, it's a story more than anything else of a reminder of God's faithfulness. In, in, in verse 3, uh, we, we pick up again, and it says, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, the king of Moab, plotted And what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered, Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Remember. (laughs) Remember what's taken place. What's really interesting, uh, folks, to me is that Micah is calling back the reality that the gospel always precedes them all. Now think about this. When when, when God has called them out of Egypt, what preceded the giving of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments? God's emancipation of the slaves in Egypt. You see, the gospel always precedes the law. God had made promises to Abraham and he had said, your people are going to be slaves, but I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to emancipate them. And what does God do? After hundreds of years, he shows up and he reminds the people of God and by extension, the whole earth that I am indeed a promise keeper. I am faithful even when you are unfaithful. And just before Moses gives the law to the people, he reminds them that this is coming from the God who has gotten them out of Egypt. Micah does this same thing. He reminds the people that this is coming from the God who is the Savior, who is the Emancipator. It's coming from the God who is the Lawgiver. He spoke through Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He reminded the people that even when they were unfaithful, he reminded the people that they had walked this way before, that there was a time where a prophet named Balaam had been unfaithful and had traded the declarations of God to a foreign king for the hope of getting rich. He reminded the people that there was a time and a place known as Shittim where they had had, had engaged in sexual immorality. He reminded the people that there was a time and a place in Gilgal where they first participated in the Passover where God showed his nearness and his love, the, the ever-present reminder that he is indeed with them. Mike is asked to declare the truth. And the truth that he's asked to declare isn't easy. It's an accusation against the people and their leaders. But it's also a reminder of the faithfulness of God. And just before he gets to this moment where he makes this declaration of, of this is how you know what God's will is. He, he, he asked a series of rhetorical questions with a specific point and a specific purpose. With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow down before the exalted God? What's going to make me righteous? What's going to give me access? What's going to to allow me to to come into God's presence as a true act of worship? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves a year old? Micah doesn't wait for an answer, but what's the answer? Is the answer yes or is the answer no? No. When I do this, that means you can speak back to me, okay? <laughs> I know right I know we're in this Jenison Hudsonville area, right? But but we can we we can do this. With verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Yes or no? No. no. Shall I offer my firstborn? For my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sins of my soul, yes or no? No. 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 You see, the reality is the children of Israel at this point, they had continued to make sacrifices. They had continued to come to to the temple. They had continued to do the religious stuff that God had told them to do. But the reality was their hearts were far from God. And he's saying, listen, I don't care about your calves if you're mistreating one another. I don't care about you jumping through religious hoops if you're oppressing and taking advantage of one another. You could even go so far as to participate in the pagan activities of the world that are around you. God has never and would never call the Israelites to sacrifice their firstborn, but there were nations in Israel's history that would do just just that to pacify the anger of the gods and Micah says, what if we went so far as to sacrifice our own children? Would that, would that take away our sin problem? And the answer is a resounding no. No. Not at all. None of these things is what God is calling us to So if it's not any of these things, what is it? Back to Micah 6, 8. The first half of the verse says this. He has shown you, O mortal. God has made it clear. He has not hidden his desire. He has shown you, O mortal mortal this this term here in the hebrew folks is, is a term for every human being if you bear the image of god he's talking to you this isn't just about israel it's about all of us it's about every single image bearer every person that carries the imago dei he has shown you o oh mortal o oh human what is good what is morally superior What is in line with with the will of God, with his hopes and his dreams for us? And what does the Lord require of you? What are the Lord's demands? What is the Lord looking at and saying, this is what I want from you? Because it's not endless burnt offerings. It's not calves that are a year old. It's not a thousand rams, nor is it a thousand rivers of olive oil. It's not jumping through hoops. It's not being a good religious person that shows up every Sunday and does their duty. It's not even sacrifice to the point of, of self-harm or self abasement. It is not, maybe even in our context, it is not the abandonment of our familial duties to serve God. No, these aren't the things that I demand of you. What does God demand? There are three things. There are three things that he says. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Why did God call the farmer from the wrong side of the tracks? (laughs) Why did God look at Micah and say, listen, I, I need you to do me a favor and I need you to talk to these mountains because the people aren't listening, but perhaps the people will overhear as you stand declaring to the mountains, to the foundations of the earth, declare these universal truths, Micah, these truths that are as redemptive for the world as they are for my people. Now get that. to act justly. And, 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 and not just to adjudicate rightly between right and wrong, to point your finger and to say, this is right and this is wrong and you are good and you are bad. No, to live in such a way that we align ourselves with the reality of the law giver God. I wonder what the world would look like, you guys. I wonder. I really do. I wonder what the world would look like if the church would stop trying to police the world and would start trying to police ourselves. I wonder what would happen if we would expect more of ourselves and less of the world. Maybe, maybe we wouldn't be called hypocrites so often if we would pay more attention to our own sin and less attention to the sin of people that don't know any better. I wonder what would happen, right? If we would decide that what we're going to do is we are going to seek justice for those that are oppressed, for those that are sick, for those that are ostracized, is that we are going to stand in harm's way for people who are being ravaged by sin and death and the fall. At had a conversation with a really good friend. Um, um, James, uh, pastors in a Presbyterian church down in, James Banks, our buddy James Banks, pastors in a Presbyterian church uh, down in, in North Carolina. And he was talking, he was trying to explain to me what his flavor of Presbyterian was. And he said, You know, Dennis, we're the loving Presbyterians. <laughs> I said, Well, James, what do you mean by that? He said, Well, we're the Presbyterians that, w- th- th- that say, you know what? We'll die for our doctrine. Um, the unloving Presbyterians are the ones that will say, we'll kill for our doctrine. (laughs) I wonder, folks, I wonder what it would look like if we would become the kind of people that would follow the way of Jesus and be known not for what we will kill, even if it is with our words and with our attitudes, but for whom we will lay down our lives and declare as Ruth did to Naomi, whithersoever thou goest, I will go. To act justly, to love, mercy. Now, now, now this word mercy is really an interesting Hebrew word. It's it's actually the word, and I'm going to say this, and Amy's going to roll, Amy's my wife, she's going to roll her eyes now, and she's going to mock me when I get home, all right? Um, But it's the word chesed, all right? And, right? I think I saw Noah back there being like, "Okay, that wasn't bad. That wasn't terrible." <laughs> and, and, and it literally means God's unfailing love, God's unfailing kindness. It's 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 kind of hard to translate it, it. It appears in Hebrew or uh, in Hosea chapter six, where God talks about, "I have not. I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice." It's it's talking about God's relentless, pursuant love. The fact of the reality is, is that when God created all things good, humanity sinned and we plunged the world into darkness and sin and we continue to run away from God. But the chesed of God is that God continues to run further and faster toward us because of his love. Is that when... Adam and Eve hid in the garden because they were were naked, that the Spirit of God, that God Himself, the Father, Son, Spirit, the Holy Trinity came looking for them. Is that when Noah found himself in a world that was surrounded by decadence and the fall is that Noah found, literally the word is grace, Noah found God's favor, is that when Noah lived in a world that had run off and hidden from God, that God kept coming and God keeps coming and coming and coming to the people who were building the Tower of Babylon, to Abram in Ur of the Chaldees, to the Israelites who are in Egypt. God keeps coming. God, what do you want me to do? Do you want more of my money? Do you want more of my time? Do you want more of my religious... Adherence? Do, do you want me to sacrifice my family? Do, do, do you want me to, to, to show up more often and, and to work harder? God, what do you want me to do? I want you to act justly, and I want you to love mercy. I want you to love like I love. And friends, this is what that looks like. It looks like when people run off from us, when they hide from us, when they ridicule us, when they bad mouth us, is that we continue to love them like Jesus did. And Jesus, the full extent of God's love, what did he do? He came and he took upon sin and brokenness that was not even his, that was yours and mine to bear. The cost package of which was separation from God forever. And Jesus said, No, no, no. That's not how this story is going to end. I'm going to show you how to love, love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly. To walk in a way that acknowledges that God is God and you're not Him. To walk in authenticity that says, I've got lots more questions than I have answers. But here's what I know I know the truth. And his name is Jesus. And he shows us what is just. And he shows us what is right. He shows us the full extent of God's love. And because of my finiteness, and because of my brokenness, and because of the sin that is around me and the sin that is in me is that I am not infinite but I worship a God who is, and so therefore I am going to head in the direction that I see Jesus walking with all humility. For this, this, my friends, is the answer to the question of God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I don't know whether you've noticed Jesus but the world is sort of spinning out of control these days. What do you want me to do? And I think that the answer today is the same as the answer was all those many years ago as the crazy farmer preached to the mountains with the purpose of being overheard by the people of God and the answer is this. I want you to act justly. I want you to walk To live in such a way that you are making a difference in the hearts and the lives of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. That you're not doing what the leaders of Israel were doing in that day. That you're not taking advantage of people but that you're using all of your time and all of your resources. That with all of your heart you are seeking to promote justice and not justice in a legal transactional sense, justice in the sense of this is what Jesus has come to do and is calling his church to do. I want you to love mercy. I want you to love people until they look at you and they say, why in the world are you loving me like this? I want you to pursue people with a relentless and reckless love that communicates to them that there's something other, something supernatural about what's going on in your heart and your life. And I want you to walk in humility. Folks, can I tell you that this last piece might be a key to the church of Jesus Christ making a difference in the world in which we live. I would love to see someone get on the television or the internet just one time and say, I don't know. Here's my best guess. But in the absence of omniscience, I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose grace. I'm going to choose mercy. Here's where I am. In my life, especially over the last few years, I, I feel like the Lord has has been calling me toward this reality of His will. Less religion and more Jesus. Less certainty and more faith. To admit and to acknowledge that doubts are simply questions and when we have questions as human beings we're actually just admitting hey God, I'm not you and there's lots of things I don't know. And so I will walk humbly and I will engage others with curiosity and compassion. I might not have a thousand rivers of oil. I I might not have... A 1,000 rams. I I might not even have one calf. I I might not always do the religious stuff right. But my friends, God has shown us what he wants. And it's not about jumping through religious hoops. (laughs) It's not about having all the answers. It's about understanding and living a life that pursues justice. That loves relentlessly, and that walks in humility, so the world can see the otherworldliness of what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of His people. Would you pray with me, Father? We now thank you for this this day. We thank you for your love and your mercy for these dear friends that are here today. And Lord, we would just ask that you would would meet us in this space. Lord, that that, that whatever it is that you might be calling each and every one of us toward, uh, that you would speak that into our hearts. And God, that you would continue to move in powerful and robust ways. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.
0: and worship and sing to him today we'll also use this time to give of our tithes and offerings to god to bless him with what he's blessed us with to give back to him and you can do that by scanning the qr code in front of you and giving online or um, there is a bucket right between the doors and that table with the bibles on it as you exit or even during the song if you'd like to so let's worship let's sing together
1: You say you'll do, you'll be who you've always been to us. i so-
2: Unfinished. Micah doesn't end with all doom and gloom. He actually makes some promises. He he declares to the mountains, overheard by the children of Israel, that the Assyrians would come and they would carry off the northern kingdom, and it happened. He he told them that the Babylonians would come and carry off the southern kingdom, and and it happened. But but he. Ends with this promise of hope is that no matter the darkness, how dark the darkness is around, no matter how the enemy seems to be winning is that God always has a plan of restoration that would not culminate in the reestablishment of the kingdom the southern kingdom in Jerusalem but would culminate when the true and better son of a man that we know is Jesus would come and establish his throne forever. And we still wait. We wait with hope for that day. And we are called, as Micah was calling the children of Israel at that day, to participate. In the bringing about of that kingdom in our daily lives. So, as we go from this place, allow me to read a blessing that was read over the people of Micah's day, that has been read for centuries over God's people. And as it's read, remember that as you go from this place, every step you take is taking ground for the kingdom. We, we as God's people are called to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Hear these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you go from this place in his shalom today. God's people said. Amen.